0: Now, now, it's now. Everything is Golden on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Here is your host, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly.
1: Today is truly a golden day. With me, my brother, <laughs> former congressman, Louis Gomerd, America's congressman. How are you, Louie?
0: I think I'm all right, James, far as I know. And of course, you may know better than I do, but always good to be with my brother from another mother.
1: Louis, uh, the House of Representatives, (laughs) as we record this podcast, is in shambles, supposedly. I am not, by the way, upset. As far as I'm concerned, they can take their time, and by the time some people hear this, we may have a House speaker, or we may not. But the day that we are recording this, Jim Jordan failed again to garner enough votes. You were in the House of Representatives for a while. Hmm. Can you explain to people the dynamics that are at work in the House?
0: <laughs> well, now, some of them. A lot of the people have have tried, but um, I do have a pretty good institutional memory of things that have gone on and things that I've been told went on before I got there, and. I got elected in November of '04. Dennis Hastert was speaker, Tom DeLay was majority leader, and Republicans had not gotten a lot of stuff done since, important things done since the initial um, 94 contract with America. And Newt Gingrich led that, and they, and Newt had explained to some of us that, uh, you know, they were just sick and tired of having no real effect uh, on legislation. They were they were doing as Speaker Sam Rayburn from Texas back about seventy years ago, uh, or more, had said uh, to get along, go along. Go along. Yes, and that continued to be the mon- mentality uh, after that, that brief period where Republicans kept their promises, they passed all of the 10 items on the contract with America. Uh, it just became kind of just getting along and going along. Uh, and yes, there was the Clinton impeachment and other episodes the shutdown um but uh by the time I got there in January of o five uh Tom DeLay was trying to drive a conservative agenda, but uh he was driven out um, and <laughs> a rule change by Boehner's buddies that they pushed through um. Ended up getting Tom Tom indicted. Nine years it took to get uh, finally a clean bill of health. But in the meantime, Boehner took over as speaker uh, early in 2006. And we just became the go-along, to get along, go-along kind of guys. And it cost us the majority in November of 2010. And... uh, (laughs) There were a group of us that met for months before the November election, trying to come up with an alternative to Boehner because we knew he was going to be getting along by going along and encouraging everybody else to do so. Um, but uh, finally, uh, in 2015, we needed 29 votes. We got 24, but that was the handwriting was on the wall that Boehner had enough people upset that he probably wasn't going to survive two years. And then people were familiar with uh, Mark Meadows filing the um, the motion to vacate the chair that Thomas Massey had provided, and um, that led to Boehner's resignation the end of September. We were trying to get an independent speaker then, but... People said, no, it's going to be Kevin McCarthy. Uh, And and then Kevin went on Hannity's show and said some things that were just, I totally disagreed with. What did
1: he say? He said pretty much that it was, I'm paraphrasing, he basically said the move to get Hillary Clinton was about ratings. It wasn't about anything that she had done. He said,
0: look at the ratings, and in fact, look at the ratings, and that shows you how important this was. Right. And the Democrats are going, see there, McCarthy admitted it was all about ratings. No, it was about standing up and doing what was right. And uh, so that nixed him being able to be speaker. So we were trying to get... (laughs) A speaker would not be the same old establishment, get along, go along, and that's what we were working on, and I was fully supportive of, of Daniel Webster, Dan Webster, the first Republican speaker since uh, Reconstruction in Florida, a wise person, and uh, we didn't have enough. We, want, we had too many that wanted another get along, go along guy, and so... Boehner plays, he weighs in and says, look, um, I think Paul Ryan would be a great speaker. And the establishment folks within the House, Republican House, uh, decided, yeah, that's where they wanted to go. And people coalesced around Paul. He said he was going to stand up for our stuff. He said a lot of right things that didn't happen. But uh, anyway, he got elected. But again, this was a Boehner selection. And then Paul's out, and who ends up well, it ends up being McCarthy, uh, who was an original selection back in 2010 when we won the majority back. Boehner tagged him to be the minority I mean, the majority whip. So this was an I, I like Kevin. he's an amazing guy. But it was another line in the Boehner selection than the Boehner groomings, and so uh, we come to this time. And I know a lot of people were upset. Said the guys that didn't did not vote for for Kevin. You know, terrorists. They were terrible, self motivating, self aggrandizing. But they weren't. These. It's. I can tell you, it is no fun having Republicans call you names because you want to stand up for what you said you would do when you got elected. And, and but,
1: that is my issue with these uh, Republicans who are going on record saying, oh, it's only 4% of Republicans. Well, no, those 4% that they call of Republicans that effected this change, led by Matt Gates his, and uh, his call mm-hmm. to vacate the chair— represent the majority of the Republican conservatives who Mm -hmm. come out and elect these people in primaries. Yeah. They are the base. Yep. And they are the base that has been routinely ignored by Republicans in the House of Representatives and the Senate going back now almost three decades, with the exception of the
0: Gingrich years. Yes. Yep. And and it's so true. And um, so... (laughs) You got to also understand in the House, um, the person that gets elected speaker in the Republican conference, that private meeting, only Republicans voting, the person that traditionally has won that position since Gingrich has always been the person that won more than half thinks is going to win. Not because they're smarter, they're more able. They're more Machiavellian. None of those things come into play. It is who did they? Who does the majority think is going to win? Because the majority will vote for the person they think is going to win. Why? Because they know. The Speaker really puts his finger on the scales and affects who gets to be a chairman of a committee, who gets the A committee, the most important committees, who gets tasked with important responsibilities that's going to get a lot of press. All of those have emanated from the Speaker. And the last time that there was so much power, well, all power, basically, in the Speaker of the House... uh, came to loggerheads in January of 1923. I think it was 18, but they voted against the Speaker of the House and refused over eight ballots to vote for him until he was willing to give back some of the power to committees and to members. Once he did that, he won on the ninth ballot. Well, since 1923, that power has continued to be sucked back into the the speakers' um, powers, and members' committees had to do what the speaker said if they were going to be elevated.
1: Bruno, he's your numero UNO. Now I wanna just go back to Civics one oh one. When we took history, when we took Civics. And then so we learn, well, the your congressman, you vote for your congressmen, or that's what they said then now it would be your Congress representative, including the women. You vote for them, they go to Washington, D.C., and there they legislate, and they write laws, and they come up with an Mm -hmm. idea, and the bill goes into the hopper, and then from the hopper, it goes here, and it goes...
0: None of that stuff is Mm -hmm. what happens. (laughs) Well, actually, a lot of us did write legislation, um, but if you wanted, like in my case, I'd made Boehner mad so many times, standing up to him, calling him out for things that um, promises broken and so there was no way i was going to get a a bill with my name on it going through and so what i learned to do was um, you prepare a bill and then you find somebody a republican on the committee of jurisdiction and get them to be the first name on the bill but you have to be willing to go i don't care who gets the credit this needs to be done and there were times people would go, "This really looks like a good bill. Why don't you file it?" And go, "Why don't you want to file it?" You know, wonder there's some fault in it. I'm going because I want it to pass, <laughs> and there's
1: no way Boehner now, or Paul I, I, Ryan I is to let that happen. I, this is something I want to take up, though, Louis, because what what you believe if you are a conservative is that is that these people that are running the show here, these Republicans, have the best interest of the of the country at heart. What it sounds like to me and to so many other people is this is nothing but petty high school all over again. You crossed me mm-hmm. here, so I'm not going to do this for you. You do this for me, I owe you a favor, maybe I'll do this for you. The backstabbing, the mm-hmm. pettiness, and some of that has been on display in this entire speakers a yeah, contest that's going on yeah, right yeah, now. I don't hear anything about what's best for the country. What I hear is, oh, well, you didn't go with Scalia, and so we don't like you because Scalise, you didn't yeah. go with, with, with uh, not with Scalia. With, Scalise. With, yeah. with Scalise. You didn't go with Scalise, and therefore, we're not going to uh, vote for you. Uh, you did something here that we find objectionable. Mm-hmm. And this stuff is so petty to people outside of the system, but yet it seems to dominate life inside this House mm-hmm. of Representatives.
0: Well, James, let me point out, I don't want people to get the wrong idea the huge majority of the Republicans that I worked with, eighteen years I was there, uh, they ran for the right reasons. They're going to help strengthen America, keep us going, perpetuate our freedom. But then you get there, and and they have an orientation for two or three days of me, you know, like within two weeks of the election, and the thing that's drilled into your head is. You know, number one, the best thing you can do is get reelected. And I had to ponder that the first time I heard that. And then I ultimately thought about Sam Houston. I mean, he knew, he believed with all his heart Texas should not secede from the union in uh, 1861. And when Texas voted to do that, he resigned and he, you know, Reportedly, had a very small group of family at his funeral. Um, sometimes you have to take a stand because you know in your heart it's right, and it's not about getting reelected. It's about doing the right thing. But you get that drill into you. And the other thing that people hear more than I think anything else, certainly when I went through orientation, was the most critical thing besides getting reelected is being and here are the two words a team player and you know um, the only time um, I ever met the founder of Fox News Roger Ailes. I said Monica Crowley and Sean Hannity both told me I needed to thank you if I ever met you for being the first, person in television thought it was okay to have a southern accent on and he said well I've seen you you know you do a good job but but I really wish you guys work together better and and I said I do too and then he got bothered that I wasn't getting his point and he said what I'm saying is I want you guys to all run the same play together and I said the first thing that came to my head. I said, I do too, but when my quarterback calls a play to run to the wrong end zone, I'm not blocking for him, and I'm going to try to tackle him before he scores for the other team. And he just looked at me like, you are just hopeless, and he
1: walked away. (laughs) He walked away.
0: Um, but, But that's the, you know, people are saying, we want them to work together. We want everybody to be a team player. Well, I do too. But it is important to stand up for what's right. And so I was not bothered by 15 rounds of votes to get a speaker because Kevin had to make agreements and promises of things he would do. And we're not talking about it. I'm not hearing anybody talk a lot about it right now in the speaker's race, but we are are spending our way into oblivion. And uh, I was in a meeting with a um, a leader of a foreign nation, that's one of our allies, uh, back well before COVID, and we were talking about, you know, well, we're concerned with our level of spending in the U.S. And he asked, what is your debt-to-GDP ratio? And... There were only, I think, three members of Congress talking with him, and we said, it's 100%. And he was shocked, and he said, I had no idea you were already there. Mm. Because what leaders know around the world is, when your debt gets to 100% of your GDP, that's normally when your economy collapses. And now we're 120 to to 130% we have been for a couple of years and this is dangerous territory and we need a speaker that's going to help rein that in and i know that my friend Newt gingrich for whom i have the utmost gratitude and respect is saying this is terrible but um Newt gingrich
1: beat the hell out of matt gates for this yeah which i just thought was just so hypocritical excuse me for laying it out there like that because here's the guy that was the rebel. Here's the guy that, was, that stopped the go-along, get-along thing that you started. Okay, Louie, you said that, um, you were talking about Newt Gingrich, and yeah. I just said, I think it's so hypocritical. Here was the guy that was the rebel, the ultimate rebel, that stopped this let's-go-along-to-get-along stuff. Yet when Matt Gates calls out Kevin McCarthy, For lying, which is what was really happening. He said he was going to return the Congress to regular order. He did not. He made promises, Mm -hmm. and he knew the promises he was making Mm -hmm. to the the Republican caucus. He did not keep them. And yet when he gets called out for it, here's Newt Gingrich saying bashing the guy that actually
0: calls him out on it. I don't get it. Well, and let me mention one of those promises. Uh, You know... Back when we had one trillion in debt, we shot up to one trillion in debt when uh, President Obama, his first year, um, a deficit of one trillion dollars. Back in 06 when we lost the majority, the deficit was like two hundred billion, and we should have balanced that year, but we didn't. Um, and Democrats took advantage of it. They said, "We'll balance the budget." And then when President Obama comes in his first year, it's $1 trillion deficit. And if you recall, one of the the um, rating agencies downgraded our debt. That's right. And fortunately, it was only one, because if more had joined in, then it would have shot our interest rates up so high, it would have collapsed the economy. Well, now we're $2 trillion. And it's so irresponsible, and it could not continue. But let me tell you, Newt's brilliance... He came to uh, some of us some years back and said, look, you have got to stop just automatically raising the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling is a mechanism by which you can get spending under control and get us back to a balanced budget like they had, I think, in 96 or seven." And so he was saying, don't go for long-term debt ceiling raises. As Boehner had just come up with a brilliant strategy for those that get along, go along. And that was instead of raising the debt ceiling a specific amount, say two or three trillion, why don't we use a date instead and say we agree to whatever the debt raises by until this date? And that is a disaster. Giving somebody a blank check until a certain date, and then we'll do it again, that was a Boehner creation. Maybe, I don't know who he got it from, but that was such a cowardly way to handle the debt. And that is exactly what they agreed to back, I think, May. They agreed, okay, uh, Biden administration, it's whatever the debt ceiling raises to until January twenty-five. And that so infuriated people that are concerned about our economy just exploding and being the end of this little republic.
1: Well, Louie, I'm going to just stop down right here. We are at the end of episode one with you, episode number 13, everything is going and we're going to pick up with part two. And I want to continue to explore what's going on in the House, and then I want to broaden out the discussion To politics with you uh, in general and in in the United States. Maybe if we have time, deal with the presidential race and also what's going on overseas. So stay with us, folks, for part two, Bo and Louis, and we will continue next episode.